last Bible study, which happened um, a bit ago, uh, we covered verses 5 through 10 of chapter 4. Um, last Bible study happened uh, quite some time ago, and it has also been quite some time since we have started the book of James. I don't remember the exact month we started James. Now, if you remember everything that we've covered in James uh, up to this point in chapter four, uh, then I would applaud you for your memory. However, for the rest of us, including myself, uh, I will be giving a bit of a refresher by doing a read through of all of James for us. I'm going to read through the entire epistle and then going to roll through a bit of summary uh, of main of key things and then go into uh, James 4, 11 through 12. So hopefully by the end of said read through, uh, we can have our memory thoroughly jogged uh, uh, regarding all the themes and stuff that we've covered. So if you have been here throughout the entirety of James, then this will be a time for you to get a bit of a refresher. And if not, then you can catch up with us really fast because this is a very condensed summary of everything that we've gone through so far. Okay. Um, James 1, uh, starting with verse 1. I'm actually going to take a quick sip of water here because this is uh, going to be a, a decent amount of reading. Okay. James 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation. Because, like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. It f its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it, gives, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. 
Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and preserves, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Chapter 2 My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a ring, uh, wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, 
without giving them the things needed for the body? What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Chapter 3 Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are, guarded, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed, has been, and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can be tamed by the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people, who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works, and in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, spirit, er, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in by is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4 
What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This brings us up to the verses that we're going to cover tonight, um, but I'm going to continue to read all the way to the end of chapter 5. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your brother? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Chapter 5. Come now, you rich, and weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like a fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of, your, of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts." You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have, com- you have com- condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, till the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the earthly or the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. 
Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with, with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, the earth, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death will cover a multitude of sins it was a lot of reading um i will be rereading through james again once we get to the end of uh chapter five and we finish out james uh i think it's quite important to see the entirety of the book since we go verse by verse it's very easy to get uh zoned in on specific things um but major themes and truths that are displayed throughout a book are very important to understand and now after reading through it let's go through a summary of most of the stuff that uh was taught over very condensed um summary uh we see in the beginning of james uh the joy that we should find in trials we should not have anger directed towards the Lord, but rather we should find joy in the strengthening of our faith. Uh, we should also hope. Uh, we should also find hope in our coming before the Lord in trials. The Lord is a source of all good and perfect gifts. We come to the Lord in the fullness of faith in both times of trials and good times. The Lord is also the source of all wisdom. Uh, we come before the source of wisdom. We require wisdom. We don't come before the Lord with doubt or with sinful desires, but we come before the Lord with the fullness of faith. James describes the people who do not come before the Lord or come before the Lord with sinful desires as a double-minded people who just like the waves are driven by the wind. Uh, they do not have faith in the Lord and they are just pushed each and every way. Uh, they should expect nothing from the Lord. They do not have faith in the one whom they proclaim have bought them. They do not have faith in the one who they proclaim has died for their sins and made them new. They lack faith in not coming before the Lord. And even if they come before the Lord, these double-minded people, they ask wrongly. They ask in sinful desires. The Lord will not push you into sin. Is not the Lord gives good gifts, 
And when you come before the Lord and ask of him, he shall give, but the Lord will not give you unto sin. Uh, James uh, transitions into two concepts next, uh, the taming the tongue and being a doer of the word. Uh, He highlights the usage of the tongue and tells us to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, He highlights the bridling of the tongue, the controlling of the tongue and its greater effect. Uh, James also covers how Christians are marked by our actions. He encourages us to not simply just hear the word, uh, but to apply the word properly, to be a doer of the word, um, and not just sit idly by, continue in sin, continue to reek in your filthy sin uh, when the word is telling you to repent. It's uh, be a doer, not just a hearer. A hearer is no action, is dead. Um, James also highlights the caring of the afflicted as pure religion. Uh, This then transitions into James talking about partiality and the sinfulness of it. Uh, James calls acting in partiality as being a judge with evil thoughts. When you act partially, you are basing your judgment off of sinful and irrelevant factors. Uh, James gives the example of treating the rich differently from the poor and condemns the bad treatment of the poor, uh, as well as not treating the poor as your neighbor. You're not treating your neighbor as yourself. You're one, mishandling the poor, and two, not treating your neighbor as yourself. Um, We move into, uh, uh, after this, this is around chapter two, uh, then we move into the second half of the structure of this epistle. Uh, James is structured kind of like a sandwich, where he introduces and highlights some key concepts. Uh, He'll go through them one by one. So we had suffering, we have wisdom, then we have uh, tongue taming, and then we have being a doer and not a hearer, uh, and then partiality. And now after partiality, he's going to go back into it. So he uh, highlights some of these things, gives them a tiny introduction um, and then talks in regards to them in depth, but he's, he does it in reverse order. So instead of then going back to wisdom right after you finish partiality, he goes into um, being a doer of the word and not a hearer of the word. Um, but James talks about it in uh, a bit of different terms here. Uh, he now talks about it in regards to faith and works. Um, yeah, James talks in regards to faith and works. Faith without works is a dead faith. A faith that does not move, does not act, is a dead faith. We are justified as Christians before our fellow man by our actions. How do you tell if a tree is living? It is by the fruit it produces. This is not a denial or a contradiction of what is covered in Romans and Ephesians regarding salvation by faith alone, but rather that faith, which is salvific, is a living faith. A dead faith does not save because a dead faith points to a dead heart. A living faith points to a living heart. And our heart can only be made living by regeneration through the works of Christ on the cross. The demons believe and tremble at the Lord. A dead faith is not a saving faith. And is also not the faith talked about in Romans and Ephesians. Paul is not encouraging you to faith or to put your faith in Christ for then you to sit there and wallow in your sin. It's not, it's not what the faith is. Uh, the faith is a living, moving, and active faith. 
is not one that sits dormant, that sits dead. It is not a proper faith in the Lord, because when you have a proper faith in the Lord, you are pointed to his word. When you're pointed to his word with a living faith, be a doer of the word. Do not just sit and look at the word. Do not just hear the word and say, that's good enough. Even though I'm continuing in sin constantly, I heard my Bible for today. I read my Bible for today, but I will go on sinning. It's not a living faith. It's a dead faith. Your heart's still completely and totally marked by your sin. Now that is different uh, from uh, acting in repentance and struggling with sin. But a dead faith is a faith that does nothing. It is dormant, is isn't inactive, it is not doing anything. Uh, James now switches back onto the tongue after talking about faith and its relation to works. Uh, he highlights the destructive nature of the tongue, calling it a pit of never-ending fire that can set the whole course of life ablaze, a, a hell fire. He gives a real-world world example of uh, small things that guide the larger body. Uh, he did a horse, a burning forest, a boat, um, where small things control the larger, the larger being. And uh, the tongue is not small enough to be overlooked. The tongue can set the whole forest ablaze. James then loops back to wisdom. He highlights the differences between heavenly and earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom leads to murder, envy, and bitter jealousy. Earthly wisdom gives way for all types of sins, all types of vile practices, uh, is the way that James described it. Uh, James also confronts the bitter jealousy and envy in the church, which causes them to turn against each other, causes them to turn against their brother in hatred. Uh, he calls this action adultery. You are straying away from Christ, who is the husband of the church, and participating in sin like a dog going back to its own vomit. Another way to describe it. But also, James uses a different, um, a different shocking word to describe it. Adultery. Or cheating on Christ with sin. Going back to your old master. Uh, earthly wisdom leads to sin, while heavenly wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Those who sow peace will reap righteousness. James calls us to purify ourselves and cleanse our hands, no longer being a double-minded people, but to humble ourselves before the Lord and put the fullness of faith in the Lord. We ought to be brought to sadness from our sin. Our sin should bring grief and wretchedness to us. James will go on in the last chapter to talk about the rich, which I'm sure y'all recognized when I was reading through the last chapter, as well as suffering, uh, which loops back to the first two concepts. He introduced suffering, talked briefly about the rich, and that's how he is ending out the letter. This is a little sandwich of ideas and themes that are packed in. Uh, pretty tightly into these five chapters. There's a lot of stuff that we have gone through and covered. Uh, so hopefully the summer summary uh, gives a helpful refresher to uh, what we've covered because it's dense. There's a lot of stuff that we have talked about in just this uh, this short letter. All right. Now the summary portion of tonight is out of the way. 
um, we can get into our verses. And I thought that was going to be much quicker to read through the entirety of James, uh, but I guess it takes longer to read than I thought. I have to speed read when I do it again for the end of chapter 5. All right. James 4, verses 11 through 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We should not speak evil against our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should not slander the name of our Christian brethren. We should not gossip in secret and slander and taint the name of those whom we call family through Christ. Second uh, Corinthians 12.20 For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. 1 Peter 2.1 So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. The judge above... Uh, uh, the, that's the end of the, the reading um, of First Peter 2.1. The judge above all will judge your slander, envy, and gossip. Uh, James 5.9, which we will get to in the future, uh, but a little sneak peek into the future, I guess. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That paints a very... Uh, a very urgent picture of the judgment to come, the judgment of the Lord. Uh, James relates evil speaking of a brother in Christ to speaking evil against the law and claims to be a judge of the law. And when you judge a brother, you are judging the law. Um, Leviticus 19.16 you shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against your against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Uh, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The James, uh, James makes a connection here that we wouldn't really directly make after reading about speaking evil or judging your brother. Uh, when you slander your brother, then you put yourself above the clear commandments of the law. You elevate your own understanding above the word of God. You pronounce and condemn the judgment of the law by attempting to ignore or go around the law in order to slander your brother, in order to sin against your brother. Whether you see the slander as proper punishment for their actions, thus circumventing the punishments illustrated by the law, or wish to just put your brother down, then you explicitly ignore uh, the law, which states to treat your brother, brother, your neighbor, as yourself. You elevate your own means or desires above those outlined by the law. 
Thus, you are condemning and judging what is outlined by the law. James ties this back into being a doer of the law and not a hearer of the law. If you pronounce judgment over the law, if you condemn the law and you say, this is not the right thing to do, instead I will slander and gossip about my brother, then you are not a doer of the law. You are placing your judgment about what is right in the law and uh, following your own understanding. You are actively picking and choosing which parts of the law are good and line up with your own judgment of the goodness of the law. You are judging the law of liberty in an attempt to sin, go against the law. Uh, your judgment you pronounce over your brother and over the law will be judged. Matthew 7, 1 through 2. Judge not that you, that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. The judgment we pronounce will be judged. Who is judging our judgment? It is the judge overall. It is the one who has given the law and whose judgment is casted over all of creation. It is the perfect and holy judge, the perfect judge and the giver of the perfect law of liberty. Isaiah thirty three twenty two. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. The judge over your judgment is the one who created you. The judge over your judgment is the one who has given us the very law you judge. It is the judge who has uh, justified us. Made us new. I'm saying a lot of judges. Uh, it is the judge who only by him may you call the one who you judge, who you slander and who you gossip. It is only by his means that they are a brother to you. It is the judge who is able to save as we see in Isaiah 33:22 and is able to destroy Matthew 10:28 and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell it is the lord who judges over judgment it is the i am the creator of all the one who formed this world ex nihilo meaning out of nothing the one who formed you in the womb, the one who is the source of all wisdom, the one who is never changing and forever consistent, holy, and perfect, the one who is the ultimate judge, the one you cannot hide from or deceive, the one who condescended down to man, the incarnation, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, taking on your sins, the one who provides salvation to a sinner such as you and I, the one who you are made new in. Who saves you from your old master of death and sin, the one who we are now slaves to. The judgment casted over our judgment is done by the very one who holds perfection as the absolute standard. The one who has a proper claim to judgment. Who are you to judge your neighbor? Who are you to take judgment into your own hands? Who are you to slander and gossip about your brother and sister in Christ? What claim to judgment outside of the law do you have? A sinner such as you who has been sanctified, who has been justified by the very same blood of Christ that sanctified your brother and sister in Christ. Romans 14.4 Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, 
and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, does this mean that we should not urge our brother or sister to repentance when we see them in sin? Does this mean that we have to ignore sin and ignore the responsibility of the church? To borrow a common phrase from Paul, by no means. James is condemning slander and gossip and not the process of bringing your brother to repentance outlined in Matthew 18. Uh, When people backpedal and use verses like these, oh, you shouldn't be judging me, uh, they are not using these in order to say, condemn slander and gossip. They're using it to hide themselves from their sin and not be confronted by it. But Matthew 18, other verses will clearly tell us to bring a brother out of sin. You don't do that through slander and gossip. Operating in slander and gossip does nothing to bring your brother out of repentance. In fact, it actively tries to hide from your brother or sister in Christ. It only seeks to affect others' view of said brother or sister to others. The judgment you pronounce on your brother or sister through slander or gossip, if that is the means that you are seeking for them to be judged or to uplift yourself above them, that will be held against you by the judge over all things. The judge and the lawgiver, whose very law you are judging, who you are lifting yourself above, cleanse yourself of slander and gossip that you desire to commit and seek Christ. Seek to reflect Christ in his perfectness. Seek for desires of slander and gossip to be sanctified and replaced with the desire to lift up your brother and sister. Act with humility, not elevating yourself to that of a judge of the law, but, uh, but to be a doer of the law. Act in submission to the perfect law of liberty that has been given by the perfect law giver. Give praise and glory in all things to the perfect judge and the perfect lawgiver. Praise the Lord that he has brought us, that he has bought us and made us new in him. Praise the Lord that we may seek wisdom in him. Praise the Lord for his giving of the law that we may be doers of it and not simply hearers of his perfect law. Praise the Lord for giving us brothers and sisters that we may lift up in his righteousness and not tear down. Glory be to God in the doing of his perfect law. Glory be to God in the lifting up of brothers and sisters. Glory be to God in his perfect judgment. Glory be to God in his sanctification of us. Glory be to God and praise him in all things. All right, that is all I have for this uh, summary of the uh, up to James 4, 10, and then these verses, James Four, eleven through 12. I guess it did end up being about the normal time of a Bible study, which is fine, which is good. But yeah, is there any questions before I close some prayer? I see some already typed in chat, I think. Um, but you can also raise your hand if you have a question. Um, Graceful is raising his hand. I'm going to go ahead and let you up here while I uh, read these and you can go ahead and ask your question first. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, mine uh, are, in a sense, more interactive questions because you need to turn to the right page uh, through James. So I, I would recommend reading. I'll just mute myself if you want to read the questions in chat. Uh, 
Okay, yeah, if you want to do that, get, get to the place of your question, I can uh, answer some of these. Yeah. Um, okay. Faith without works is dead. What are the works? Just like reading, praying, and living righteously. I mean, yeah, just the fruits that display you as a Christian. So the keeping of his commandments, the loving your neighbor, just things like that. Um, things that you can point to and say, that's a Christian. That is Christian behavior right there. That is what, when I think of a Christian, when I read through the Bible and I look at the commandments and I look at everything I see, that is a Christian. The person who is helping their neighbor, the person who is helping the widow, the orphan, the person who is uh, filled with hope and who is working diligently, the person who's giving all glory to God. Uh, there's many different ways that works or fruits can really uh, present themselves, I think. But yeah, that's kind of what I would say would be um, works. Uh, okay. Emmanuel's thing was just a knowledge test for other people, I guess. Um, Go ahead, uh, whenever whenever you're ready, Graceful. All right, all right, all right. By the way, sorry if you can hear my brother in the background. Um, so in, uh, I know this isn't really where you specifically um, went over your... Uh, this wasn't the main portion which you're praying to read, but it was more when you're reading through the entirety of James. Um, in chapter 2, mm -hmm. verse 9... Um, says, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Um, so say if you have, because uh, this happened to me last night, I was uh, I was offered to go to uh, a church group with friends, um, like who are all Christian, or I could have went to go play some card games with my unbeliever friends. Now I chose to go to my church group um because uh not because i don't like my unbeliever friends but rather that they things i speak about uh i, I don't think are really <laughs> all that great um so would that be me sh showing partiality to them no that that is not quite <laughs> i wouldn't say that that is partiality because not every decision is partiality. Not every single choice you make is partiality. Um, partiality generally happens when you would make different treatment of people when, or let's, let's use the example of, um, of the rich man of, you know, the, We'll read the verses before. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man comes in in shabby clothing, also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there and sit down at my feet. Uh, and you're making distinctions among them. That is a, a very clear example of where you are treating people differently when you do not have to, and you're not treating the poor person as uh, your neighbor. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. In this situation, you have the ability to be like, both of you sit here, Just sit here at the good seats. What you don't have the ability to do is you don't have the ability to be in two places at once. 
now where that comes into discernment of which you would rather go to do yeah just divide in half into just two like a four foot four gracefuls and then just go to both places yeah i'm eight feet you're eight foot eight (laughs) you're a very tall man um but you you can't be in both places at once now the decision between whether you go to a place where you feel you may be tempted to sin or that you feel that you may be tempted to make bad jokes or that's generally uh unbelievers who are not having uplifting conversation and choosing between going to a place with christian friends and uh, fellowshipping with people uh it's it's kind of more of choosing the better option and not necessarily a judgment of the people in the same way that acting partially does. Um, it's uh, so like when we go to church on Sunday, you're not scolded for not like going to meet up with uh, some friends who want to get Denny's or something at like 11 a.m. Like that's that's not how that works. It's not how that works because one, you can't be in two places at once, and two, your relationship with Christ and your following of His Word comes definitely before uh, the uh, being in places where you may be tempted to sin. Fellowship and meeting together is something that is elevated in the Christian life. Without, I mean, you can, I guess, maybe say it's partiality, like you're being partial to it's uh, to which people you. Are wanting to go with but it's nowhere it's not in the same category it's a different category of decisions altogether now if you uh, if your christian's friends say you're hosting a party and your christian friends come and you're like oh sit in this like massive throne that i made for you and you look to your unbeliever friends and you just say you can sit out back <laughs> that's acting more partially yeah just go go lay down on the grass and i'll yell if i need you or something that's that's more something that would be under the lines of partiality i'll be an extreme example but that would uh i think there's a clear difference between the two well i'm happy that you said 11 a.m and not 11 p.m <laughs> uncle at denny's at 11 p.m um all right and i have i have two other questions okay um both related to verses the say uh the second one is still in verse two um i mean chapter two uh it's 14 to 15. Um, so uh we don't need to read all of it but it's the you know the faith and works thing um i agree with what you said but at the same time catholics also will say things like okay yeah you need faith but if you don't have any faith uh, or you don't have any works and you not a Christian type of thing. Um, and that's often how they'll describe it to you. Like it's uh, like it, it, you, you having um, faith is only evident by your works. Is that, that seems to be pretty clear what this passage is teaching. So uh, what what's the big like I understand why it's wrong, but at the same time, what what's your take on it? The the big distinction would be one, the Protestant position would attest to you being saved and justified um before the Lord, before you're justified before man, 
and the justification before the Lord comes from faith alone, but you're displaying as a Christian to your fellow man and your justification before man comes after. Whereas the Catholics would not make such a distinction. They will say that instead of, they'll point to the justification part of saying your works are what justify you. And they will say, see, this is both justification before the Lord and justification before the man. So they will say that the works are actually what is saving them, um, which is fundamentally different. And, you know, if you go back and listen to going over uh, chapter two or that specific portion, uh, the lead up of how, this is in regards to justification before man with the examples that are given. And we go back over to Romans that talks about Abraham's justification before God, which happens sooner than Abraham's justification before man. Um, so what do you, sorry, no, I'm confused okay. what you mean by justification before man and justification before God. Okay. So we cannot see the inside of people's hearts. God can. God knows the inside of people's hearts, just as the only way that we as man, or the analogy would be like, uh, you can't really look at the bark of a tree and be like, yeah, that thing's alive or yeah, that thing's dead. Uh, how you look and see if a tree is growing and flourishing is by the, the fruit it produces. That is something that man can see. That is how we point to uh, each other as Christians. If you look at a Christian or someone who's like, yeah, I'm a Christian and they're just constantly in sin, unrepentant and just not uh, not following the word of God. You say, are you really a Christian? Like, go, let's let's go talk to if, I guess if they go to the same church as you talk to them, talk to them with three people, bring them before the church. And then that's the Matthew 18 process. But uh, the fruit pointing to the fruit is pointing to the justification before man. Uh, you know, cause when talking about Abraham, um, Paul, uh, Paul talks about Abraham's justification for God. Uh, he is saying that when Abraham believed in his count to him as righteousness, that is when, uh, Abraham was justified. And now you see James saying it's happening at a different time. Um, but this is happening um, before uh, the works in him being justified for Isaac in the in his works coming to fruition um, is happening later because we see that uh, in Genesis it happens earlier what Paul's talking about and later what James is talking about because Paul is confronting the people that say you need the, these works are the very thing that saves you these works are how you are made righteous these works are what make you righteous before the lord they're what takes your sin away um because he's he is saying that is not the case that is not what is being talked about because he, paul is going up against um the very jewish people who are coming off of uh these works or what saves us and not christ's blood whereas now with James, you're coming against to the opposite side of the spectrum of dealing with a living faith is the people who are coming and saying, I don't need works at all because of what Paul said over there. Therefore, I continue in sin. That's that's not the case for what you ought to do when talking about a living faith, a, a Christian faith. Um, in now, how you are being displayed to other Christians by your fruits is 
It's important. It's important to see the fruits of people. It's important for the growth of the church, just as uh, you're talking about with um, you cited uh, verses 14 through 16. Um, I'll just read uh, 15 through 16 real quick. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? It does nothing. It is a useless faith because it's not one that results in works. And the and how you see the justification before before man which is kind of i understand it's a very weird thing to hear and i didn't really think about it before i went through james 2 about what's the what does it mean when it says justification but the examples are talking about and the being um and being justified is all in relation to the how we see it if that makes sense. So I feel like I just rambled. I'm not sure if I quite answered the question you fully. Gave your answer um, 110%. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, that 110% is kind of over my brain. Could you give like a two minute summary of what you just said? <laughs> two minute summary. Okay. Yeah, look at my timer if you really want. Uh, no, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. Okay. So starting now, we have a living faith. A living faith is a, a faith that justifies us before God and is also displayed to others by our works because a living faith ultimately leads to works. People will point to James and say, James says faith without works is dead. Therefore, works is what justifies us before the Lord and people will and they'll say that is now good whereas then you have massive contradiction in romans and ephesians that say faith is what justifies you before the lord and that's just faith is what justifies you before the lord and you know we still keep the commandments of the law we went through that in romans saying that they are both pointing to the same thing makes no sense and it's kind of unfortunate of the same usage of the word justification because it kind of complicates things when they're talking about two sides of a spectrum of what a living faith is. So James is talking in reference to the fruit we produce that other Christians can say, look, there's fruit and that the church can use this fruit. They say, we have a, a hardworking, faithful young man who serves the church and loves his neighbor. Let's eat this fruit. Let's lift this young man up. Let's use him to help build up the church. That is a, okay. a justification before man. Did I, did I go past my two minutes? This is this is too long. You did, but I, oh, think no. you, I think you understand. I'm still trying to wrap my hand, my head around something, a cucumber in a freezer. But, There's no way you're um, looking at chat while I'm trying to explain. <laughs> no, no, I'm listening. Okay, I'm listening. okay, okay. Can, I'm a good multitasker. How about we but move on to your that. next question after, and then if you're still confused after, we can hop in a VC about it, and I can, I can okay. do a longer. I don't know if a longer one will help. Okay. Um. So in chapter five. Uh, five. Yes. <laughs> Uh, a lot of people will say like, um, oh, or sorry, chapter five, verses one to six. 
uh, a lot of people will say this is oh be uh, the Christian religion is all about socialism and all that janky junk junk. Um, is uh, what would your response be if someone brought up this verse, um, or these verses in chapter five, one to six? My response would be one define socialism and when they would give a definition of it you would see that this is not it's not socialism giving like just because or sorry 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 it's not communism either looking Uh, down on someone who has more abundant wealth looking down on someone i'm not sure what you mean there hold on a second Reread it. Hold on a second. To be added. Oh, okay. I uh, so I if you're if you're talking in regards to political systems or or economic systems, uh, you. This uh, paying your workers their dues, and uh, um, and not living in abundant self indulgence is not inherent to socialism. Neither is it inherent to capitalism. Um, uh, capitalism. None of these economic systems are perfect. There will always be corruption. There was always because we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful world. And pointing to these things and saying, "Look, look, this this justifies my economic system," when they're not pointing to a thing inherent to that economic system, it's it's a, a poor argument just overall. And it's it, what you would argue for, uh, or what I guess Christians probably should argue for it would be just pay your workers their dues. <laughs> withholding yeah, money is is not like pay, it's not good pay what you're able to pay with you still making what you deserve yeah paying treating workers fairly and laborers fairly is not inherent to socialism nor is it the antithesis of capitalism it's inherent it's uh it's the antithesis of sin if you're paying your workers fairly and treating them like people then you're not acting sinfully which uh, Christian business owners should uh, pay attention to these verses. Like, if you are in the situation where you have laborers, don't act sinfully. A lot of the stuff that people would point to corruption for capitalism, and I'm not saying capitalism is a perfect economic system by any means, but um, like pointing to sin in capitalism does not then mean that socialism is good. It means that the Christian comes into capitalism and says, how can I sanctify this? How can I act properly in this? And how you act properly in this as a business owner is paying the wages of the workers and not living in sinful self-indulgence. Okay. Um, Thank you. Uh, Sorry, I didn't really format my... I I stopped you there because you've already said everything you're going to say and I know you just keep bringing up different examples and that's good to help me understand but i think i understand okay okay Um, good also sorry for uh sorry for not formatting the last question so well did i at least answer it you did you did okay good good um but i uh 
kind of my brain kind of forgot even what that question was after because I was waiting or not waiting but listening to the answers to the other questions. Okay. But yes, yes. Anywho, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, okay, Emmanuel, I can give my thoughts on that after if that's your question. It's not really. I don't think it's relevant to what's happening right now. That's that's generally the type of questions that I'm asking. If there's any questions about the verses that we covered, but I can I can answer that after. Um, is there any other questions relevant to the verses before? Uh, I close us in prayer. Boneless is typing. Did I miss a question from Boneless? Was oh, that a question? I thought um, I was reading my my textbook juice analogy regarding regeneration. Is that regeneration is like the wind? Uh, a person does not see the wind but rather sees the effects of the wind, thus the Holy Spirit affects uh, a heart and change of life. Is that long? Yeah, that would be along the lines of, say, the, the tree analogy of we can't see the inside of the tree, nor can we see the wind, but we can see the effects of the tree being a fruit, or we can see the effects of the wind being a, a breeze, tree shaking, hurricanes, whatever, which uh, whichever you would like to go. Um... <clears throat> You have a relevant question. As you see in verse 12. Verse 12 of what? Of which chapter? Oh, chapter 4. It says, who are we to judge our neighbor? How can we help lead our neighbor to the right path if we don't judge them in our minds? Like, correct me if they're doing something wrong. They're not a place. The place would be... Um, Matthew 18 gives us a series of events of how to confront your Christian brother about sin. Um, in the process for that, uh, I guess I can read Matthew 18 real... Uh, real quick if your brother sins against you uh, this is starting from verse 15 if your brother sins against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he listens to you you have gained your brother but if he does not listen take one or two along others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of the two or three witnesses if he refuses uh, to listen to them tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So that is generally uh, outlines what you would talk to them about. Prop This would be proper judgment. If you want to call it judgment, you can. I think avoid, like, it's not necessarily judgment. You're not, you are condemning them, but it's for things that are outlined in uh, in the law. 
you're condemning him not according to your own standard, but you are condemning him according to the standard of the law and saying, you have broken the law and sinned against me. Here is our proper recourse of what we do. You are providing judgment to them based off of the law. Rather, what James, what James is condemning here is improper judgment. Um, because when you are, when talking about in Matthew 7, uh, 1 through 2, and it talks about your judgment being held according to you, your judgment being judged against you, if you're judging according to the law, if you're judging according to the word of God, then you're fine. You're judging according to what God has given us. He's given us this proper recourse. He's given us this proper ability to come to our brothers and try to bring them to repentance, try to bring them to uh, glorify God in um in their actions and not to continue in sin. Whereas James here is talking about an example of improper judgment of um, you are talking evil against them. You're slandering and gossiping them. Brother sins against you. You don't confront him. You just go behind his back and you slander him to other people. You talk about all the bad things that he's done and why you shouldn't be friends with them. And they gossip about what they do all to push them down and to lift yourself up. That is not the proper recourse that the law has laid out. Going against the law, you're saying that proper recourse, Matthew 18, no, I don't want it. I want to sin against my brother. I want to respond to sin with sin. It's um, There is judgment involved, but one's very improper judgment and one is proper judgment and discernment. Yeah. Any other questions before I close this in prayer? No? Okay, let me uh let me pray for us and then we can be we can be done. Yeah, this will be on the podcast if you want to go back and listen to it later. As well as I read through all of James. If I read through something and you're confused, all of them are recorded and you can go back and listen to them. Alright. Let me pray for us. Lord, um, I thank you for this time that we are able to just to read your word, uh, to just read through the goodness that you've given to us, the, the law that you've given to us, your perfect and holy word, Lord. I pray that um, we will leave here with your word in our minds, Lord, that we would not um, that we would not just leave it behind, but that we would take the word that we've read through today, Lord, and that we'd apply it properly, properly to our lives, that we can glorify you in the actions that we do because of the, your word. It would be doers of the word and not hearers of the word, Lord. Um, I just pray for us as we go throughout the rest of this week, that as we go to work and as we go to school, that we just be diligent and just show people the hope of the joy of us as Christians, Lord. I pray that we'll just uh, just read your word daily, Lord, that we'll be able to pray to you and that um, we'll be able to glorify you in all things, Lord, not just some, but all. Uh, I pray for all these things in your wonderful and holy name. Amen. <laughs>